The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by a guest speaker. The statements, views, and opinions presented in this message are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. That's online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Our morning devotion speaker is the Reverend Russ Kapuzinski. He's a minister in the Presbyterian Church in America. I think he was ordained in 1998, you said. Uh, Spent a few years here studying and then transferred over to RTS Orlando where he graduated. Became a PCA pastor and church planter. Has been here in San Diego now for, wow, at least 10 years, right? 13 years. And is currently the assistant head of school and upper school principal at the Cambridge School, which is a Christian classical school here in uh, the Penasquitos area. So we're delighted to have you, Russ. Please come and bring God's word. In all seriousness, it is uh, my great joy and privilege to address you this morning as those who are preparing for pastoral ministry and for the ministry of the word in in some fashion. Uh, I've served in various uh, ministry contexts over the last three decades, and during my years of service, I've developed a heart for pastors. Uh, And uh, mostly growing out of my own brokenness is how I developed that heart for pastors. In the spring of uh, 2011, I found myself in a state of ministry burnout, and this was new terrain for me. I discovered uh, that I was much like a man like Jacob, whose life and ministry was a mixed bag of reliance on God and reliance upon my own ingenuity and strength. And this reliance upon myself was mostly manifested in a work ethic that encroached upon biblical rhythms of labor and rest, not trusting the Lord of the harvest to do the work that he said he would do, and me being faithful in the work that he called me to do, to be a faithful servant of his. So that was uh, five years ago, and I crashed, excuse me, hard. So hard that a three-month medical sabbatical only began to scratch the, the surface of a much deeper healing that I needed in and through the gospel. Now, I can unpack the details of this story another time, but what the Lord impressed upon me during this sabbatical was that I was not alone in my struggle. As I opened up about my struggles in pastoral ministry, it was like lancing a boil with other pastors. I heard story after story of intense pain and brokenness. This was a pretty large fraternity. One pastor recounted his habit of curling up in the fetal position on Sunday afternoons in the shower. Another shared with me when he began wetting the bed in his mid-40s. It didn't do a whole lot for his marriage or his sex life. I heard story after story of men, real men called by Jesus to serve in spiritual war that had symptoms resonant with post-traumatic stress disorder. And as I began to heal and to repent, to mend and find joy again in Jesus, apart from the trappings of ministry, I was simultaneously developing a heart for pastors serving on the front lines of ministry, that is, in the local church, of which many of you are preparing for that ministry. So that's why I consider it a privilege to speak to you this morning in all seriousness. You are on the front line or the front end of an arduous journey, and it's going to require endurance born of grace. And that's the title of my uh, message this morning, taken from 2 Timothy 2, 
verses 1 through 13. So if you have your Bibles and you would like to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, hear God's word. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, has preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. The word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we pray that this morning that you would take these words that you have previously illumined and that you would, uh, that you've previously inspired and that you would illumine them to our hearts and minds, shaping us more and more into the image of Christ and enabling us to experience this grace that enables us to endure uh, the great work of, of ministry to which you call us. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Mark Twain uh, got a lot of mileage out of the quote, there are three kinds of lies, lies, damned lies, and statistics. Now it's a quote that describes the persuasive ability of numerical metrics, that is statistics, to bolster otherwise weak arguments. Now having fully acknowledged the tenuous, the somewhat tenuous nature of statistics, I now am going to quote you a few statistics highlighting the arduous reality of pastoral ministry. In independent studies by the Barna Group, the Fuller Institute of Church Growth, and the Francis Schaeffer Institute of Church Leadership Development, we learned that approximately 1,400 pastors leave the ministry each month due to stress, disillusionment, and or forced termination. 75% of pastors report significant stress-related crisis at least once in their ministry. I guess bedwetting would qualify for that. 90% of pastors said the ministry was completely different than what they thought they were getting into when they entered. 70% of pastors say that they fight depression and anxiety. 50% of pastors feel so discouraged that they said that they would leave the ministry if they were able to find gainful employment in some other way to make a living. 50% of pastors started out, who are starting out will not last five years in the pastoral ministry. I love this, this next one. The profession of pastor is near the bottom of a survey of the most respected professions, just above car salesmen. Now I knew a pastor who was also, he was moonlighting as a car salesman, so he had the, the, what they call the proverbial double whammy, supposedly. And many denominations report an empty pulpit crisis. They cannot find ministers willing to fill positions. Over the last several months, I've personally been networking for churches in several states 
helping them to try to find uh, a senior pastor. Lies, damned lies, and statistics. Now listen, these statistics may not be spot on, but, they, but given the fact that they're transdenominational in nature, uh, they resonate with me. And over the last 30 years, these numbers and percentages don't really shock me that much, uh, especially given the nature of the work that we pastors are called to do. See, pastors are called to make disciples, as highlighted in verse 2 of our text. Verse 2 says, And what you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Specifically, this probably has a lot to do with the training up of elders who will make disciples in the local church. And this is challenging work to make disciples, because disciples are not made in a vacuum, but they're made in the face of satanic opposition, uh, human sinfulness, and our own battle to, to, to battle against and mortify our own sin and deal with and confront our own idolatry. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, describes the pastoral ministry as, quote, as an affliction, as perplexing, as marked by persecution, and as characterized as one being struck down. He also adds, quote, that we are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be also manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. And it was this section of scripture that helped my bedwetting pastor friend to understand his struggle from a biblical perspective, being handed over to death, being handed over to death so that life may be manifested in others. After all, according to Paul, we have this treasure in vessels of clay to show that the surpassing power for ministry effectiveness resides in God and not ultimately in us. Disciple making and the work of the church is hard and not for the self-sufficient or the faint of heart. Now, verse 3 explicitly states what every pastor needs to be reminded of daily in order to understand uh, the stress of ministry. Share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Share in the suffering, called to suffer. There it is. Early in my ministry, I, I was memorizing scripture, and I got a hold of the Navigator's memory verses. And they have you memorize several pa uh, passages, verses of scripture. And so 2 Timothy 2.2 was one of those verses they would have you memorize. But they really should have included verse 3 as well. Because making disciples and that work that God calls us to always involves suffering. Share in the suffering. In ministry, uh, my wife Diane, who's with me today, we have shared in the suffering of many. From girls who've been rescued from human trafficking to the daily work of encouraging and exhorting people in our congregation. Walking with families through failing and failed marriages and trying to pick up the pieces of what remains, to rebellious children, to loss of jobs, to loss of health, to loss of loved ones, and we share in the suffering. And the list is a long list of how we share in suffering. We hold a lot of hands and we shed a lot of tears and we point people ultimately at the end of the day to the only one who is the source of life, Jesus. See, you have verse 2, where we're called to make disciples. Verse 3 points out the reality of what that feels like, suffering. But verse 1, if you back it up, shows us the power, the power for ministry. 
the true source of endurance in pastoral ministry. And it says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Strengthened by grace. Verse 8 says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Remember Christ as preached in my gospel. The gospel. This phrase, risen from the dead, is an expression of the, the, the present reality, the present experience of the risen Christ in our life that's rooted in the historic reality of the resurrection. Power to endure by the power of the Holy Spirit. And finally, verse 13 says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is the gospel. One commentator observed regarding this verse, he said, quote, these words are not a charter for sin and apostasy, but rather a consolation for a frightened conscience, end quote. These are gospel words reminding us of the good news that God himself has come to rescue us and to renew the whole of the created order in and through the work of Jesus Christ. These are the words that ultimately enable us to endure. In 1968, John Stephen Aquari, a Tanzanian marathon runner, started the Olympic marathon race in Mexico City with 74 other runners from around the world. Aquari started experiencing cramping not long into the race due to the high altitude of Mexico City. He was used to training at much lower altitudes. And at about the 12 mile mark, Aquari fell forcefully to the ground after colliding with another runner. He wounded his knee, dislocating the joint. And Aquari rose from the pavement, gathered himself, and continued to race with an awkward gait in exceedingly great pain. Meanwhile, as Aquari was struggling along, Mamo Woldi of Ethiopia crossed the finish line with a winning time of two hours and 20 minutes. And shortly after the awards ceremony, the television crew was alerted that there was in fact one more runner slowly making his way to the stadium. It was Akwari. As the sun was setting, Akwari crossed the finish line to the applause of a small crowd with a time of three hours and 25 minutes, well over an hour past all the other runners. When interviewed later, he was asked why he continued to run in the midst of all the pain and setbacks and suffering. And Akwari responded as follows. My country did not send me 5,000 miles to start a race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. And so it is with Christ. For Christ did not enter his state of humiliation to start a race that he did not plan on finishing. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the pain and the suffering that he would enable him and that would enable him to claim the victor's crown for you and for me. You see, Jesus alone is the only athlete who has competed according to the rules. Whereas you and I and everyone we will preach to has ultimately failed. And it's only when we work from that foundation knowing that one has competed according to the rules on our behalf that we can even begin by the power of God's spirit to seek to live according to those rules and experience life that grows out of the gospel and gospel obedience. As a good soldier, Christ involved himself not in the trappings 
of this world, the desires of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life in possessions. He did the Father's will even to death on a cross. Stephen Pressfield in his book, Gates of Fire, captures well the true nature of Jesus' soldier-like kingship through his historical account of the practice of Spartan kings as they led their troops in battle. Pressfield observes, a king does not abide within his tent while men bleed and die upon the field. A king does not dine while his men go hungry nor sleep when they stand at watch upon the wall. A king does not command his men's loyalty through fear nor purchase it with gold. He earns their love by the sweat of his own back and the pains he endures for their sake. That which comprises the harshest burden, a king lifts first and sets down last. A king does not require service of those he leads, but provides it to them. And a king does not expend his substance to enslave men, but by his conduct and example makes them free. And Christ has made us free indeed. He is such a king. And finally, Christ was and still is the hard working farmer who will receive not only the first fruits of his labor, but the entire harvest of those he has purchased with his own blood. And so our faith is inflamed with the beauty and the truth and the goodness of this gospel. We are strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus for the arduous work that he has called us to, the work of this glorious gospel. Therefore, we endure. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for the work that you have done on our behalf. Thank you that the gospel, your grace, empowers us to endure no matter what we face in this life, Lord. In life and in ministry, we look to you, the one who set aside your crown and in your humiliation became a man born of a woman, born under law, who suffered in this life and ultimately at the death on a cross, risen from the dead so that we could hold our heads up high and say, here am I, Lord, send me, realizing that we go in your strength, in your grace, and according to your word. So enable us to do that by your spirit this day. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Copyright 2016, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.